Section two of Martin Pippin in the Apple Orchard by Eleanor Farshan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Peter Eastman. Prologue, Part One. One morning in April, Martin Pippin walked in the meadows near Odvison, and there he saw a young fellow sowing a field with oats broadcast. So pleasant a sight was enough to arrest Martin for an hour though less important things, such as making his living, could not occupy him for a minute. So he leaned upon the gate, and presently noticed that for every handful he scattered, the young man shed as many tears as seeds, and now and then he stopped his sewing altogether, and putting his face between his hands, sobbed bitterly. When this had happened three or four times, Martin hailed the youth, who was then fairly close to the gate, "'Young master,' said he, "'the baker of this crop will want no salt to his baking, and that's flat.' The young man dropped his hands, and turned his brown and tear-stained countenance upon the minstrel. He was so young a man that he wanted his beard. "'They who taste of my sorrow,' he replied, "'will have no stomach for bread.' And with that he fell anew to his sewing and sighing, and passed up the field. When he came down again, Martin observed, It must be a very bitter sorrow that will put a man off his dinner. It is the bitterest, said the youth, and went his way. At his next coming, Martin inquired, What is the name of your sorrow? Love, said the youth. By now he was somewhat distant from the gate when he came abreast of it, and Martin Pippin did not catch the word. So he called loudly, What? "'Love!' shouted the youth. His voice cracked on it. He appeared slightly annoyed. Martin chewed a grass and watched him up and down the meadow. At the right moment he bellowed, "'I was never yet put off my feed by love.' "'Then,' roared the youth, "'you have never loved.' At this Martin jumped over the gate and ran along the furrow behind the boy. "'I have loved!' he vowed, as many times as I have tuned lute-strings. Then, said the youth, not turning his head, you have never loved in vain. Always, thank God, said Martin fervently. The youth, whose name was Robin Rue, suddenly dropped all his seed in one heap, flung up his arms, and, Alas, he cried, oh, Jillian, Jillian, and began to sob more heavily than ever. "'Tell me your trouble,' said the minstrel kindly. "'Sir,' said the youth, "'I do not know your name, and your clothes are very tattered. "'But you are the first who has cared whether or no my heart should break "'since my lovely Jillian was locked with six keys into her father's well-house, "'and six young milkmaids, sworn virgins and man-haters all to keep the keys.' "'The thirsty,' said Martin, "'make little of padlocks when within a rope's length of water.' But, sir, continued the youth earnestly, this well-house is set in the midst of an apple orchard, enclosed in a hawthorn hedge full six foot high, and no entrance thereto but one small green wicket bolted on the inner side. Indeed, said Martin. And worse to come, the length of the hedge there is a great duck-pond nine yards broad, and three wild ducks swimming in it. Alas, he cried, I shall never see my lovely girl again. 
love is a mighty power, said Martin Pippin, but there are doubtless things it cannot do. I ask so little, sighed Robin Roo, only to send her a primrose for her hairband, and half again whatever flower she wears there now. Would this really content you? said Martin Pippin. I would then consent to live, swore Robin Roo, long enough at all events to make an end of my sewing. Well, that would be something, said Martin cheerfully, for fields must not go fallow that are appointed to bear. Direct me to your Jillian's apple orchard. It is useless, Robin said, for even if you could cross the duck pond and evade the ducks and compass the green gate, my sweetheart's father's milkmaids are not to be come over by any man, and they watch the well-house day and night. Yet direct me to the orchard, repeated Martin Pippin, and thrummed his lute a little. Oh, sir, said Robin anxiously, I must warn you that it is a long and weary way. It may be as much as two mile by the road. And he looked disconsolately at the minstrel, as though in fear that he would be discouraged from the adventure. It can but be attempted, answered Martin, and now tell me only whether I go north or south as the road runs. Gilman the farmer, her father, said Robin Rue, has moreover a very big stick. Heaven help us, cried Martin, and took to his heels. That ends it, sighed the sorry lover. At least let us make a beginning, quoth Martin Pippin. He leaped the gate, mocked at a cuckoo, plucked a primrose, and went singing up the road. Robin Roo resumed his sewing and his tears. Maids, said Jocelyn, what is this coming across the duck pond? It is a man, said little Joan. The six girls came running and crowding to the wicket, standing a tiptoe and peeping between each other's sunbonnets. Their sunbonnets and their gowns were as green as lettuce leaves. "'Is he coming on a raft?' asked Jessica, who stood behind. "'No,' said Jane, "'he is coming on his two feet. He has taken off his shoes, but I fear his breeches will suffer.' "'He is giving bread to the ducks,' said Jennifer. "'He has a lute on his back,' said Joyce. "'Man!' cried Jocelyn, who was the tallest and the sternest of the milkmaids. "'Go away at once!' Martin Pippin was by now within arm's length of the green gate. He looked with pleasure at the six virgins fluttering in their green gowns, and peeping bright-eyed and rosy-cheeked under their green bonnets. Beyond them he saw the forbidden orchard, with cuckoo-flower and primrose, daffodil and celandine, silver wind-flower and sweet violets blue and white spangling the gay grass. The twisted apple-trees were in young leaf, "'Go away!' cried all the milkmaids in a breath. "'Go away!' "'My green maidens,' said Martin, "'may I not come into your orchard? "'The sun is up, and the shadow lies fresh on the grass. "'Let me in to rest a little, dear maidens, "'if maidens indeed you be, "'and not six leaflets blown from the apple-trees.' "'You cannot come in,' said Jocelyn, "'because we are guarding our master's daughter, "'who sits yonder weeping in the well-house.' That is a noble and a tender duty, said Martin. From what do you guard her? The milkmaids looked primly at one another, and little Joan said, It is a secret. 
Martin. I will ask no more. And what do you do all day long? Joyce. Nothing, and it is very dull. Martin. It must be still duller for your master's daughter. Joan. Oh, no, she has her thoughts to play with. Martin. And what of your thoughts? Jocelyn. We have no thoughts. I should think not indeed. Martin. I beg your pardon. But since you find the hours so tedious, will you not let me sing and play to you upon my lute? I will sing you a song for a spring morning, and you shall dance in the grass like any leaf in the wind. Jane. I think there can be no harm in that. Jessica. It can't matter a straw to Jillian. Joyce. She would not look up from her thoughts, though we footed it all day. Jocelyn. So long as he is on one side of the gate. Jennifer. And we on the other. I love to dance, said little Joan. Man, cried the milkmaids in a breath, play and sing to us. Oh, maidens, answered Martin merrily, every tune deserves its fee. But don't look so troubled. My hire shall be of the lightest. Let me see. You shall fetch me the flower from the hair of your little mistress, who sits weeping on the coping with her face hidden in her shining locks. At this the milkmaids clapped their hands, and little Joan, running to the well-house, with a touch like thistle-down, drew from the weeper's yellow hair a yellow primrose. She brought it to the gate and laid it in Martin's hand. "'Now you will play for us, won't you?' said she. A dance for a spring morning, when the leaves dance on the apple-trees. Then Martin tuned his lute, and played and sang as follows, while the girls took hands and danced in a green chain among the twisty trees. The green leaf dances now, the green leaf dances now, the green leaf with its tilted wings dances on the bough. And every rustling air says, I've caught you, caught you, leaf with tilted wings, caught you in a snare. Whose snare? Springs, that bound you to the bough, where you dance now, dance but cannot fly, for all your tilted wings pointing to the sky, where, like Martin's, you would dart, but for spring's delicious art that caught you to the bough, caught, yet left you free, to dance if not to fly, oh, see, as you are dancing now, dancing on the bough. Dancing on the bough, dancing with your tilted wings on the apple bough. Now as Martin sang and the milkmaids danced, it seemed that Jillian in her prison heard and saw nothing except the music and the movement of her sorrows. But presently she raised her hand and touched her hairband, and then she lifted up the fairest face Martin had ever seen, so that he needs must see it nearer and he took the green gate in one stride, and the green dancers never observed him. Then Jillian's tender mouth parted, like an opening quince-blossom, and— "'Oh, mother, mother,' she said, "'if you had only lived, they would not have stolen the flower from my hair while I sat weeping.' Above her head a whispering voice made answer, "'Oh, daughter, daughter, dry your sweet eyes. You shall wear this other flower.' when yours is gone over the duck-pond to Odvison. And lo, a second primrose dropped out of the skies into her lap. And that day the lovely Jillian wept no more. Part 2
It happened that on an afternoon in May, Morden Pippin passed again through Avacyn, and as he passed he thought, Now certainly I have been here before. But he could not remember when or how, for a full month had run under the bridges of time since then, and man's memory is not infinite. But in walking by a certain garden he heard a sound of sobbing, and curiosity, of which he was largely made, caused him to climb the old brick wall that he might discover the cause. What he saw from his perch was a garden laid out in neat plots between grassy walks edged with double daisies, red, white, and pink, or bordered with sweet herbs, or with lavender and wallflower, and here and there were cordons of fruit-trees, apple, plum, and cherry, and in a sunny corner a clump of flowering currant heavy with humming bees, and against the inner walls flat pear-trees stretching their long straight lines, like music-staves whereon a lovely melody was ridden in notes of snow. And in the midst of all this stood a very young man with a face as brown as a berry. He was spraying the cordons with quassia water, but whenever he filled his syringe he wept so many tears above the bucket that it was always full to the brim. When he had watched this happen several times, Martin hailed the young man. "'Young master,' said Martin, "'the eater of your plums will need sugar there too, and that's flat.' The young man turned his eyes upward. "'There is not sugar enough in all the world,' he answered, "'to sweeten the fruits that are watered by my sorrows.' "'Then here is a waste of good quassia,' said Martin, "'and I think your name is Robin Rue.' "'It is,' said Robin, "'and you are Martin Pippin, to whom I owe more than to any man living. "'But the primrose you brought me is dead this five-and-twenty days. "'And what of your Jillian? "'Alas, how can I tell what of her? "'She is where she was, and I am where I am. "'What will become of me?' "'There are riddles without answers,' observed Martin. "'I can answer this one. "'I shall fall into a decline and die. "'And yet I ask no more than to send her a ring to wear on her finger "'and have her ring to wear on mine.' "'Would this satisfy you?' asked Martin. "'I could then cling to life,' said Robin Rue, "'long enough at least to finish my spraying.' We may praise God as much for small mercies, said Martin pleasantly, as for great ones, and trees must not be blighted that were appointed to fruit. So saying, he unstraddled his legs and dropped into the road, tickled an armadillo with his toe, twirled the silver ring on his finger, and went away singing. Maidens, said Jocelyn, here is that man come again. Maids' memories are longer than men's. At all events, the milkmaids knew instantly to whom she referred, although nearly a month had passed since his coming. "'Has he his loot with him?' asked little Joan. "'He has, and he has given cake to the ducks. They take it from his hand. Man, go away immediately!' Martin Pippin propped his elbows on the little gate, and looked smiling into the orchard, all pink and white blossom. The trees that had been longest in bloom were white cascades of flower, others there were flushed like the cheek of a sleeping child, and some were still studded with rose-red buds. The grass was high and full of spotted orchis, 
and tall wild parsley spread its nets of lace almost abreast of the lowest boughs of blossom, so that the milkmaid stood embraced in meeting flowers, waist-deep in the orchard growth, all gowned in pink lawn, with loose white sleeves, and their faces flushed it may have been with the pink linings to their white bonnets, or with the evening rose in the west, or with I know not what. "'Go away!' they cried at the intruder. "'Go away!' "'My rose-white maidens,' said Marden, "'will you not let me into your orchard? "'For the stars are rising with the dew, "'and the hour is at peace. "'Let me into rest, dear maidens, "'if maidens indeed you be, "'and not six blossoms fallen from the apple-boughs.' "'You cannot come in,' said Jocelyn, "'lest you are the bearer of a word to our master's daughter,' who sits weeping in the well-house. "'From whom should I bear a word?' asked Marden Pippin in great amazement. The milkmaids cast down their eyes, and little Joan said, "'It is a secret.' "'Martin, I will inquire no further, but shall I not play a little on my lute? It is as good an hour for song and dance as any other, and I will make a tune for a sunny May evening.' and you shall sway among the grasses like any flower on the bough. Jane. In my opinion, that can hurt nobody. Jessica. Jillian wouldn't care two pins. Joyce. She would utter no word that we tripped it for a week. Jocelyn. So long as he keeps to his side of the hedge. Jennifer. And we to ours. Oh, I do love to dance, cried little Joan. Man, they commanded him as one voice, play and sing to us instantly. My pretty ones, laughed Martin Pippin, songs are as light as air, but worth more than pearls and diamonds. What will you give me for my song? Wait now, I have it. You shall fetch me the ring from the finger of your little mistress, who sits hidden beneath the fountain of her own bright tresses. The milkmaids at these words nodded gaily and little Joan tiptoed to the well-house, and slipped the ring from Jillian's finger, as lightly as a daisy may be slipped from its fellow on the chain. Then she ran with it to the gate, and Marden held up his little finger, and she put it on, saying, Now you will keep your promise, honey sweet singer, and play a dance for a May evening, when the blossom blows for happiness on the apple-trees. So Marden Pippin tuned his lute, and sang what follows, while the girls floated in ones and twos among the orchard grass. A floating, a floating, what sought high a floating? Fairy ships rocking with pink sails and white, smoothly as swans on a river of light, saw I a floating? No, it was apple bloom, rosy and fair, softly obeying the nod of the air, I saw a floating. A floating, a floating, what saw I a floating? White clouds at eventide, blown to and fro, Lightly as bubbles the cherubim blow, Saw I a-floating? No, it was pretty girls, gowned like a flower, Blown in a ring round their own apple-bower, I saw a-floating. Or was it my dream, my dream only, who knows? As frail as a snowflake, as flushed as a rose, I saw a-floating, 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 What saw I a-floating? Marden sang, and the milkmaids danced, and Jillian in her prison only heard the dropping of her tears, 
and only saw the rainbow prisms on her lashes. But presently she laid her cheek against her hand, and missed a touch she knew, and on that revealed her lovely face so full of woe that Marden needs must comfort her or weep himself. And the dancers took no heed when he made one step across the gate and went under the trees to the well-house. "'Oh, mother, mother,' sighed Jillian, "'if you had only lived, they would never have stolen the ring from my finger while I sat heartsick.' Above her head a whispering voice replied, "'Oh, daughter, daughter, mend your dear heart. You shall wear this other ring when yours is gone over the duck-pond to Odvison.' "'Oh, wonder!' Out of the very heavens fell a silver ring into her bosom. And if that night Jillian slept not, neither wept she. End of Prologue, Part 2